We are talking about uh, the book of Revelation. We're talking about the churches in the book of Revelation. And um, I did not choose the texts, okay? <laughs> the, che- the texts apparently chose me. And uh, <laughs> so they will overlap a bit, interestingly. Um, but Pastor David was like, you're preaching on Thyatira. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, this is going to be a lot more you know, involved. So the teaching bit is going to be stronger tonight. Uh, we're going to walk verse by verse through this text. Um, it says, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, uh, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as, as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I, ca- I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children. Oh, wow, this is wonderful. I feel so good already. I will kill her children uh, with death. Um, you're going to kill her children with death as opposed to what? Uh, and I will, and seriously, I mean, come on, let's, let's make sense here. And, okay, we're joking. Uh, I will kill her children with death, and all the church, churches will know, shall know, that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. Now to, now to you, I say, to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan or the deep things of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with an iron rod, or a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so (laughs) we've got quite the text here. Um, Let's just pray, because I'm going to need some help. All right. Sweet Jesus. I like praying to baby Jesus, you know? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. Lord, we just thank you. We come to to you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, we look to your word as we look to you. And God, I just pray that you would fill us with the truth of your word, that we would renew our minds with your word. And as we renew our minds, we would live differently as your word directs us to live. 
And by living differently, we would be transformed. We would live a new life in you. Lord, I just pray that we would hear what you want us to hear and do what you want us to do. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, so the church at Thyatira, we've been, as uh, Pastor David has been going through these different churches, um, these these letters were written. uh, The idea here is that the book of Revelation was written to each church. Same book written to each church. But when it was sent to each church, Uh, church, each church got a little special message. And uh, that special message was attached to the main work uh, of the book of Revelation. So really, the book of Revelation starts in chapter four, really. And then uh, these these letters to each church were sent. So basically, Thyatira, uh, Smyrna didn't get the letter that was sent to Thyatira. And Thyatira didn't get the letter that was sent to Smyrna. And Ephesus didn't get the letter that was sent to Laodicea. Do you see what I'm saying? So each one of these words were given specifically to each one of these churches. Um, and the church at Thyatira, you know, it's fascinating to me how, like, there was one church in Thyatira, you know. We got like a billion churches in New York City, you know. Wouldn't that be awesome to have one church in New York City? I think it would. I think it would. I think it would. Um... We have one government in New York City. You know, imagine if the church was ruled the same way our, our government's ruled. I wonder if we would get a lot more done, or maybe a lot less. <laughs> the church is run like a DMV. That would be bad. But the DMV actually down in the bottom of the island here is really good. Yeah, it's the best one. Yeah, I walk in and out, and... Um, of course, I get escorted by a guard out. They're like, get out of here. We don't want you. But the idea here is that, uh, you know, there's one church in the city of Thyatira. And um, I like that. I like that idea. I think it's ideal. And, um, and Jesus uh, writes to this church um, in Thyatira, specific to it, just like all the other churches, really briefly um, this city, Thyatira, uh, had a number of trade guilds, um, actually more trade guilds than any other city in that region. And guilds are basically like, in the ancient world, the guild was basically like a league. Um, so the NFL is a, a, a guild. It's a league of teams that all say, hey, we're all in league together, even though we compete against each other, we're we're all actually in league, uh, so that when the Buffalo Bills beat the, uh, you know, whoever they're playing against, that shows you how much I know about the NFL. You know, the NBA is the same way, right? When, when When the Miami Heat beat the Knicks, thank you. Great guy, Nick. Nick is a great guy. And when, when these teams compete against each other, right, they don't kill each other, right? They compete against each other, but they don't eliminate each other from the league. They, they may eliminate each other from the playoffs, right? They may eliminate each other from higher standings. That's the idea of a guild. 
The idea of a guild is that you have tanners, you have shoemakers, you have uh, bronze smiths and leather workers and linen workers and bakers and potters, and they're all in league together, competing against each other. But the idea here is that nobody's cutthroat. You know, in, in capitalism, you have cutthroat competition. You know, Al's Pizza is trying to get Joe's Pizza out of business, out of the pizza business. You know, Al is like, yes. You know, Joe's closing shop, Al's like, yes. I hope his family starves to death. You know, you're like, what? What is, what's going on here? In the ancient world, they would have had a pizza guild. They would have had a guild, a team, a league of pizza makers, and they all would have been, I think that's actually saner than what we have now, you know? And yes, you'd have better teams than other teams. Like in the NFL, you have better teams than other teams, better pizza makers than other pizza makers, but it's not cutthroat. And in capitalism, unfortunately, we have cutthroat competition. And so, you know, you could put a guy out of business, you know, like Borders Books puts all these little bookshops out of business. Fox Books, F-O-X. Okay, nobody got that. You got it? Thank you. All right, so the idea here is I have good taste in movies and the rest of you don't. Um, But, so this idea we have to understand, right? Thyatira is dominated by guilds, unions, if you will, okay? Union is a bad word for it because of the association, but union is a similar thing, right? Except unions are in competition with the, the owners. The guilds were all owners, so it's a different system. But the guild system is, was, is what dominated the economy of Thyatira, Thyatira. And so if you had a job, you had to go by union rules, if you had a job, you had to do what they told you to do, what the guild told you to do. And so paganism um, was, was, a, was in abundance. Um, the major religion of Thyatira was the worship of Apollo, which was joined with the emperor worship cult. Apollo was the sun god and next uh, in power to his father Zeus. Um, and also, interestingly, there was this, there was like this cult of uh, prophecy that took place, a Sibyl cult, and there, was, there, would a, there would be a prophetess, a woman who would sit on a tripod and, uh, and a chair and, and deliver messages while in this trance-like state. And so, yeah, it was like pretty, pretty bizarre stuff. So that's the background of the city. Now let's get into this. Verse 18, it says, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like flaming fire and his feet like fine brass. Now notice, he says, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. Apollo was the son of Zeus. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming to you, and I'm telling you, Apollo's not the son of the God. I'm the son of God. There's a rivalry here that you really got to pick up right off the bat, out of the gate. Jesus is defying the false god, Apollo, of the city. These things, says the son of God, the true son of God. He says, with, with eyes as flames of fire. 
flames of fire. These eyes are searching, piercing, penetrating, flaming fire. And it's the flaming fire of holiness and the judgment against sin. Fire in the Old Testament uh, as a sacred symbol is a symbol always of holiness. And so these eyes are a symbol of, the eyes are the symbol of discernment, perfection of sight, insight, foresight, hindsight. And and so these, these eyes that are flaming fire are seeing through everything. Fire is the most powerful thing in the universe. Did you know that? Yep, it is. That's why the center of our galaxy is fire. The sun is the center. We're not the center. The sun is the center. And fire destroys everything. Fire has the ability to, um, I mean, in, in, in essence, you can't destroy matter, but you can make it so that it, it's completely like an atomic bomb. An atomic bomb, if that goes off, that is a flame, right? And you see the flame, the mushroom cloud go up, and that fire, it destroys. But it's also interesting that um, fire doesn't just destroy. Fire also purifies. Gold is the product of fire. In fact, gold, we don't know where gold comes from. Gold comes from outer space. Right? Aliens. I believe in aliens. Obviously, they built the pyramids. Okay? UFOs all over the place. We'll talk, to, we'll talk about it afterwards, okay? Aliens are real. So, we'll talk about it afterwards. Check the Reddit threads, okay? <laughs> Always go to the Reddit threads if you want truth. So, <laughs> Republican Politics 101, okay? I'm kidding. So, or, or am I kidding? I don't know. So, the idea here is that gold comes from outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now here, here's the thing about gold. Gold, gold um, is actually an element that's fundamental, and it's never destroyed. You can't destroy gold. You can liquefy gold, and you can act. You can turn gold into dust, right? You can you you can separate gold in 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 an elemental sense, but you can actually never destroy gold. Gold is indestructible, but gold is also made by fire. And they actually don't know how to make gold. Um, they, they, you know, that's a whole thing too. Aliens, it's a whole thing. But gold is refined. Gold is refined. So the fire of God, and this is an important point. I think sometimes this is, this is my prefatory remarks and it's seven o'clock. So I haven't even gotten started. So... Blame Pastor David. So here's the idea. He's away. We can blame him. So cat's away. So the idea is that I forgot what I was about to say. 
Gold is refined. Gold is refined. When we're reading these letters, okay, we have to understand the heart of God, okay? We have to under, I think we, sh- we should probably understand the heart of God uh, before we do anything. Um, be- because before we encounter the Lord in, in, in going deeper in Scripture, because uh, if we don't understand the spirit behind the letter, we can really mess up here, okay? You know, legalists, you know, they understand the letter of the law, but they don't get the heart. They don't get the spirit of it. And if you don't get the heart and the spirit of it, you, you twist it, you misunderstand it. And so we need to understand God's desire is to purify. God's desire is to purify you like gold. He wants to turn you into gold, the most indestructible, wonderful element, fascinating element. He wants to purify you. But in order to purify you, things have to heat up. So when we're talking about what's going on in these churches, Jesus is not angry. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is not coming at the church and saying, I hate you and I'm going to destroy you. I hate, I'm going to, you know, I'm a mean, nasty God. No, that's not what's going on here. God loves the church. Jesus loves his church. But he wants to purify it. He wants to purify it. Gold is refined at a temperature of a thousand degrees. A thousand. A thousand. That's, that's high. That's hot. It's hot right now. A thousand is really, really hot. And the way that gold is purified is that gold is, is heated up to a certain degree and then whatever other metals are alloyed to that gold, they rise. That's how it's purified. God wants to heat things up in your life to expose things so that he can get rid of them, not you. God's not interested in getting rid of you. He's interested in getting rid of your sin. He's interested in getting rid of the things that you're holding on to, the things that are alloyed to you, the things that you can't really let go because it's near and dear. But the Lord is going to purify you. So buckle up, buttercup, okay? It's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. Things get hot in this letter, not because God hates Thyatira. Jesus does not hate Thyatira. He loves Thyatira. And he's trying to heat things up so that the alloy, the, the, uh, the, the polluted metal is removed from the pure. He's purifying his church. Does that make sense? So it's, it, that's the purpose behind the Lord's words here. Okay. The Lord is purging. In fact, 
it's a purging fire in the sense that the word purge, the, the, the root of the word purge is pure. To purge is to make something pure. Okay. And he has, it says he has feet like brass. Brass in scripture, uh, you know, he's, th- these are symbols that point to different books. And I believe he's pointing back to Daniel, the book of Daniel, where Daniel sees a vision of a statue with brass feet. But the idea here is brass is a symbol of judgment. So verse 19 says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So Jesus starts by the positive, the good. Hey, this is good. I like all of this. I want you to know this is, before I heat things up, I want you to know this is good. You know, Jesus loves the good. And so he, he's, he, you know, G, many times uh, when we're pointing out the bad, we go so far in pointing out the bad that we don't point out the good as well. That is a that is a failure in judgment. It's a failure in judgment. You know what's interesting? The church never does this. I don't believe that. I don't believe that the church ever does this. Historically speaking, as a monolith, the church, in the spirit of Christianity, digests the good and puts the waste away. And that's what the body does. The body, you eat something, and it takes the nourishments, and then it leaves the rest somewhere where no one knows. But the idea here is, I mean, that's a legitimate question. Where, where is that? Where does that go? But the church reads Aristotle, and the church reads all the good in Aristotle, and says, yeah, we totally agree with this. This is true. The church doesn't say, Aristotle wasn't a Christian. <laughs> We're not going to read Aristotle. We only read the Bible. That's not what the church does. The church, so in other words, the, dis- the discrimination process is very important in life. Not everything, in fact, there's, no, there's actually no such thing as pure evil. Did you know that? There's no such thing as pure evil. Evil is a parasite, and it only ever exists on the good. The devil himself has good in him. Did you know that? The good in him is the life that he actually lives. <laughs> in the fact that he, he lives. God is the source of all life. That means the devil's life is from God. The devil isn't even pure evil. If the devil was pure evil, he would cease to exist. Life comes from God. Now, that's, you can't take that too far. The, the devil is evil. <laughs> the, the, point, the point that I was making is, is simply that we, we have to be able to understand that there is good. And we have to be able to see the good. And so Jesus sees the good. Okay? It's not just, well, they're useless and we're going to throw them away and we don't need them and they're all evil and they're Baptists. You know? Or, you know what I'm saying? They're woke. Yeah, they're woke. Yeah, let them burn in hell. Like, it's like, no, no, even, even woke stuff can be, there's, there's good stuff in woke stuff. Does that make sense? 
It's not good because it's woke, but there might be good elements in there. Every heretic actually has truth in the heresy. So we have to be able to discriminate and say, yep, this is actually right, right here. But this is wrong. Okay. So Jesus says, I know your works. Pastor David's talked about this before, but uh, this is a massive point. We are judged as Christians by our works. Um, Faith and works work together. James says, uh, without, without works, faith without works is dead. And really, James, the book of James is written to Christians. The book of Romans is written about unbelievers. So when, when we say, well, faith gets us into the kingdom, not works. True. But works sustain us in the kingdom. Works sustain us in the kingdom. Here's an idea. You can't earn salvation, but you can blow it. You can't earn it, but you can blow it. Salvation is a gift. If you, if you are raised as a hedge fund baby, how many hedge fund babies do we have here tonight? None? Okay. So, <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. No, that's not funny, apparently. Well, I was a hedge fund baby, so um, no, I'm kidding. Hedge fund, hedge fund babies, you know, is this idea that you're born into wealth. You can be born into wealth and blow it. Did you earn it? Nope. Did the prodigal son earn his wealth? No, his father earned it. We can't earn our salvation, but we can blow it. And, and again, this is, this is the spirit in which Jesus is talking to these people. Hey, I know that you guys are awesome. You guys, you guys have shown works of love. The highest quality, the highest virtue, service, faith, patience. Nevertheless, he says, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So he says, nevertheless, I do have some things against you. It's, it's, this is important because we, we live in a church culture where Jesus is only ever all, always happy and, you know, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, and na 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 I'm Barney Jesus. It's Barney Jesus, right? It's Barney Jesus. It's like, oh Jesus, you know, Jesus is Jesus is really nice and you're not nice. You know, that's what I get. I get that all the time, by the way. I get that all the time. Anytime I say something that people disagree with, that people don't like, it's like, you know, Jesus wouldn't say that. Oh, really? Who he actually did, I'm quoting him. <laughs> like, you know, it's what do I do? What do you do? But it's, it's, it's a spirit. It's a spirit, right? It, it comes from a spirit, a misunderstanding, a fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is and his purpose. But he says, these things I have against you. He, he's not saying, I'm against you, you see? He's not saying, I'm against you. He's saying, I have things against you. 
So Jesus is not against you, but he has things that he wants to deal with, right? Your boss isn't against you when he pulls you into the, into the office and says, hey, got some stuff we need to talk about. I'm for you. I want you to keep your job, but we got to talk about this thing called showing up for work. You know, you haven't shown up in three months and you're still on the payroll and I just want, want to know what you're doing. Okay. So Jesus has some things against them. So he says, you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants. Okay. So immediately uh, we are going into Old Testament territory. The Old Testament story, so the name Jezebel is a symbol of a woman named Jezebel found in the Old Testament. You can find her story in 1 Kings chapter 16 all the way up to 21 and the end of her story, thankfully, in 2 Kings chapter 9. But basically, Jezebel was a pretty bad woman, okay? And she uh, introduced Baal worship into, uh, into Israel's uh, you know, kind of religious system. She introduced a false priesthood, a false prophetic ministry. She killed prophets by the hundreds, slaughtered them, uh, you know, killed men of God. Elijah was on the run from her and he was like, God, just kill me. She told me I'm going to, she, she threatened Elijah. She said, you're going to be dead tomorrow because of what you did uh, to my prophets uh, at Mount Carmel, and God's like, Elijah's just like, kill me. She's, this woman's crazy. She's going to torture me or whatever. God knows what she's going to do. Just, Lord, kill me. And God's like, like Elijah the prophet, this guy who just watched fire come down from heaven, he could <laughs> defy the armies of Baal, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, but he can't stand up to a woman. She's bad. <laughs> she's bad. Straight up Ursula vibes, right? <laughs> so the idea here is um, this woman in the church of Thyatira was influencing the leadership of the church. And uh, the, it's, this is interesting. Uh, the tra- a translation says the, that you tolerate that woman. You tolerate her. Uh, here, the church, the, 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 the main problem here is that the, the is, is tolerance. Tolerance. They're, some of them aren't participating, but they're tolerating. A guy named Fulton Sheen, who I love, he said this, America, it is said, is suffering from intolerance. It is not. America is suffering from tolerance. Tolerance of right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and evil, Christ and chaos. Our country is not nearly so overrun with the bigoted as it is overrun with the broad-minded. We've tolerated sin far too long. We've tolerated right and wrong far too long. And it's, it's corroded and eroded and corrupted all of our institutions. And now, now the wood's rotten and, it, and the levee's breaking and all th- everything's turning into garbage. Our institutions, you know, you can't go to a, a, a liberal arts college without uh, having LGBTQ stuff, you know, like, like, like literally 
forced to participate. You can't, you can't go to work without being forced to participate. Tolerance of evil. Tolerance applies to people, never to ideas. Tolerance applies to people. We tolerate people. We do not tolerate evil. We do not tolerate wrong. We do not tolerate moral evil. We do not tolerate falsehood. Now, we can tolerate a person, but we don't tolerate evil. And they've been tolerating her false teaching. And so, if the messenger, if the leader of the church wouldn't deal with her, Jesus himself would deal with her. And we'll see how he does that really quickly here. But she calls herself a prophetess. Notice that she calls herself a prophetess. She's self-appointed. On her Instagram, she's like, I'm the prophet to the nations. Prophet, apostle to the nations. Oh, really? Who appointed you as prophet, apostle to the nations? No, I appointed myself. Oh, okay. That's pretty much what this, this stuff boils down to. It's self-appointed. Not appointed and confirmed by a church or, or, or by the Holy Spirit. No one is above accountability. No one is above spiritual covering. No, because, because as soon as you come out from under spiritual authority and out from under covering and accountability... You become a law unto yourself. And what ends up happening with that is you end up shipwrecking yourself. And you end up going into territory because nobody, nobody can judge me. You know, God's like, well, I'm judging you right now. <laughs> Only God can judge me. God's like, well, you're a, you're a horrible person. <laughs> All right. So she teaches... She's teaching, and her teaching is, 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 it's not that she's teaching that's the evil thing. Okay, we do have to qualify this a bit, and I'm going to. So, teaching is not the problem necessarily. The problem is, is that she's teaching contrary to what the apostles taught. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it, uh, it says specifically that the apostles' doctrine was what the church abided in. So the apostles set the parameters for orthodoxy. And you had to abide within the parameters of orthodoxy. And when you didn't, you were called out. And she was called out because she didn't abide within those parameters. Specifically, she violated the teaching laid down by the apostles in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, verse 20, that taught people to stay away from sexual immorality and guess what? Food sacrifice to idols. And here she is teaching that that's acceptable. Now, as it pertains to women teaching, Paul the Apostle says, I didn't write this, okay? It's in the Bible. I didn't write it. And I didn't mess with the Greek either. Look it up yourself. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says in verse 12, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She must remain quiet. Okay, I know what you're thinking now. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, because she was fully deceived, fell into transgression. Paul the Apostle is not a sexist. 
Paul the Apostle is not trying to hurt women. Paul the Apostle is trying to protect the church from Jezebels. And this church didn't listen to him. Now, can women teach? Yes. I, I, so, some women I find fascinatingly amazing as teachers. And uh, we have teachers at Theosu that are women and will continue to. And so I don't have a problem receiving teaching from a woman. However, the context that Paul is speaking of is headship, leadership, representing the authority, public authority of the body of of Christ. And he's saying a man, just as a man should be the head of his home and teach his family and lead his family in doctrine, so a man should be the head of the, the body of Christ and set the doctrine And women teachers can follow along with the doctrine set by the men who are in authority. So it's not an, it's it's an issue of order. It's an issue of, and, and he points back to Adam and Eve. He points back to created order. And he also points back to the fall. And his point about the fall is fascinating because Eve was deceived. That's, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go further on that because I don't wanna be killed. Lord, I don't want to be killed by Jezebel. So I'm going to chill there. I'm going to park it. We're going to park. We'll park there, okay? The ride's over. But the idea here is that, the idea here is that um, Paul is, is simply saying that there, there is a connection between the deception that Eve fell into and this and, and this potential for deception that women can sometimes fall into. Clearly, in this case, we can see it take place in Jezebel. This Jezebel woman was deceived and was teaching her deception. And it says that she seduces. She, she seduces people as she was... De- Eve was seduced by the serpent. Eve was de- seduced by the serpent. And so Jezebel is seduced and is seducing others. And then, and then the point here is he gets to the point saying, my servants, he's, she's seducing and teaching my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, sexual sins are severely dealt with within scripture. And I'll give you an example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Read those two chapters. Paul the Apostle is very, very serious about this. And he's saying, look, you can't do this. You can't do it. It's unacceptable. It goes against the moral order. And it's, it, it goes against the purpose of sex. And it goes against you. And it's protecting you. It's not, it's not that God hates, pe- God hates people who have sex and sex is evil. God created sex. It's his idea. <laughs> so you'd think that God would have an, you know, a clue on how it should work. The problem is not God. The problem is us. We're the ones that struggle. We're the ones that have problems. And sexual sin is not the worst sin, but it is a mortal sin in the sense that it can endanger your salvation. And Paul the Apostle writes about this, and he says, those who commit sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 It's in black and white. I didn't write it, but I have to represent it and I have to believe it. And I do believe it. 
I do believe it because it's true. And I love it because it's true. Because I know it can help me and it can help you. So, the idea here is that uh, she's teaching these people to... Uh, <laughs> she's teaching these people to compromise. Now, why? I'll tell you why. The guilds, Thyatira, required that if you worked in the guild, the union required you to sacrifice to Apollo and to participate in the sexual immorality of the temple. It was economic. She was saying, hey, you know what? It's okay. You got to keep your job. So wear the LGBTQ shirt. Participate in the LGBTQ stuff. Now, where have we heard that before? Well, you just heard it now. And I hope, I hope it rings a bell. Compromise. It's just, it's just a flag. Every time you support that, you're participating in a demonic infiltration in society. Even if it's for your job, for economic reasons, it's wicked, and it's evil, and it's perverse, and you should run away from it. And that is what they should have been teaching the Thyatiran church. But they were saying, no, it's okay, you can compromise. Verse 24, really quickly, I'm going I'm <laughs> to really quickly go through this. Now, to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will, not put, on, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have until I come. So Jesus says, uh, uh, as many as who, who do not have this doctrine. Notice that the, the key here is the doctrine the key here is what's the is teaching. The doctrine that was being taught was corrupting Christians. That means that what you read, what you think about, is of first priority to God. What you believe is of first priority to God. Because what you believe determines how you behave. And how you behave term determines how you become, what you become. In Titus chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Titus, Paul's writing to his son Titus, who is an elder at the church, and he says, for you, teach, but for you, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. For a bishop or an elder or an overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid these people, for these people do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So doctrine is important. Because doctrine determines your discipline. It determines your devotion. It determines what you do. How you think. There's no, act, there's no, there's no action without thought. 
Everything you do, you think about. And that's why this is important. What she is doing is, 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 is getting into the brain of the church. And it's causing people to act in an evil way. So he goes on and talks about the depths of Satan. I could go on about that. That's a, a, a Gnostic term, you know, the depths of Satan, the, the real truth. But all that, all that to say, he says, I've given her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And so, and so he says, indeed, I'll cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am, I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. God gives time for every single person to repent. Nobody knows how long the time is. That's the sad part. But God... 2 Peter chapter uh, uh, two, 3, verse 9 says, God's not willing that anybody should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But she did not repent. And so he says, I'm going to cast her into a sickbed and all those who are with her. The suffering will take place. It's interesting that suffering in the Christian life doesn't always take place because... You're a victim. Sometimes suffering takes place because you've brought it on yourself. Why are my kids horrible? Because you were a horrible parent. Why are my kids disrespecting me so much? Because you're a horrible parent. You never disciplined them. So now they're horrible people. And now you have to bear the brunt of that. You brought it on yourself. God's, go, God, I'm really going through it. You're really putting me through it. Yeah, because you brought it on yourself. So many people, bring, bring, many times, bring them, them, uh, uh, sickness and illness and evil upon themselves because they've sown it. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, sometimes, as we saw in other churches, there is suffering because they're righteous. Like Job, you know, they go through a tribulation that is not brought on by themselves, but it's brought on by the devil. But there's also this other side of suffering that we have to talk about. The wages of sin is death. If we sin, sin pays wages. Jesus, in John chapter 5, healed a man who was sick for 38 years. And he said, now go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The guy was sick for 38 years because he was sinning for 38 years. How does that fit into theology? I don't know. All I know is we have to repent. We have to, we have to repent. We have to look to the Lord and he says, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule over them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, I will give him the morning star. This idea here of the morning star is that Jesus is going to give the people who overcome himself. He is the morning star. He offers himself to us. 
He says, I will give you myself. I will give you power to reign and rule, but you've got to overcome. There are two people in the book of Revelation. Those who overcome and those who are overcome. Only two. And so God comes to the church. Jesus comes to the church. You know, it's interesting that this woman, the Jezebel woman, uh, well, in, in the Old Testament, Jezebel was manipulating her husband, Ahab, constantly doing everything horrible, killing people, murdering people. She murdered Naboth uh, because her husband was sad and uh, he, wasn't a, he, he, was, he was an effeminate man. And then it says that God, her husband participated in the death of Naboth. And so Elijah said to, to Ahab, God, thus says the Lord, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to obliterate your whole line. And guess what Ahab does? Oh, and he says, and I'm going to destroy Jezebel and I'm going to obliterate a Jezebel. And so Ahab, it says, he tore his garments and he put on sackcloth and ashes. Ahab, this horrible person, he repented. And Elijah said, prophesied and said to him, because you've done this, the Lord's anger is turned away from you. Because you have repented, the Lord's anger is turned away from you. Jezebel never repented. <laughs> and it says her death was violent. She was thrown from a window. Michael was in a window, interestingly. Jezebel was thrown from a window. Her, it's, the Bible describes it, her blood splattered all over the wall. And then King Jehu trampled on her body with his horse. And then dogs came and ate her body. Okay. <laughs> um, the idea here is that if a person is alive, they can repent. Ahab can repent. Jezebel could repent. There's nobody who is too far away from God, too far away from salvation. No one. God offers forgiveness to even the worst of people. But there are people who refuse that mercy. Jesus comes to his church wanting to cleanse it, wanting to purge it. He comes with mercy and he comes with justice. And that is who he is. Merciful and just. He offers us a choice. Do you want to repent? Do you want to repent? The mercy of God is here. The mercy of God is here.